Greyhound to trap one. Greyhound to trap one. How do you read me? Over. You're listening to the Trap One Podcast. I'm Mark. I'm Sophie. I'm Conrad. Thank you very much for joining me, guys. Uh, especially Sophie, thank you for battling the jet lag to join us today. Uh, you just got back from this year's Gallifrey One convention. Uh, was this your first Galley experience? It was, yeah. I was very jealous of the friends I'd made at conventions going last year, and I promised myself I would go this year. And usually those kind of promises are kind of... They just don't happen. They're, they're, they're dreams that kind of a whisper of, we'll go to Los Angeles, but somehow, whether it was just some luck or a bit of money that come in or friends purchasing tickets earlier, it just all kind of fell into place. And before we knew it, we were on a coach from Bristol to Heathrow and then, and then Heathrow to LA. And it just kind of happened. So, yeah, very, very happy to have been able to go. How many, how many people are there? How, how kind of big is it? So they sold 3,880-odd tickets, which I think was about the amount of people that were there. It was, uh, it was mad. Absolutely insane, the amount of people that had attended. Um, yeah. Yeah, 3,881, I think, was the, the total tickets sold. That's crazy. I don't think there's anything that big here. Maybe the 50th at the XL, probably Maybe. Was around that. I, I, I was, um, I went to that one. It, it seemed huge at the time, but there's nothing regularly in this country that big, is there? Um, no, I mean you've, you've got the general conventions so like London Film or Comic Con or MCM, hmm. which probably bring in more than that. But it's not Doctor Who focused. Yeah. But this is Doctor Who focused. Like there's nothing like it. I think they had some Star Trek. Um, guests um, but that's it it was merely Doctor Who all of the guests were Doctor Who related um, from comic creators to storyboard artists to writers to actors uh, it was uh, astonishing to be honest it looked because we were all watching you guys on Twitter like the whole week very jealous you, were, you had your little Bristol crew we saw the Bristol crew that was amazing. Yes. What, what, what kind of were your highlights? What were you all going for? Did you all split off and do different stuff, or did you? Was there particular things you were after, or how did it go? Well, um, we're, we all were after different things, really. I went because I wanted to meet the writers. Because um, as someone who is now writing bits and pieces myself, it's always good to make contacts, but also make relationships. It's not about networking. It's actually about I love your stuff and I want to be friends with you, um, that sort of thing. So I really wanted to meet some writers. I got to meet um, Anjali, who played Rani in the Sergio Adventures, um, who's lovely. And it's her birthday today, as we're recording, uh, which is really cool because we discussed birthdays because my birthday is actually on the Monday coming. So we were like both turning 30, <laughs> so discussing turning 30. And it was really, really personal conversation. Like she was so happy to be like, oh, how do you feel about turning 30? Because my boyfriend turned 30 and he said it was fine, but I'm worried. And I was, I was just stood there like I'm having this really quite genuine, wonderful conversation with this woman who usually at a convention, it's very much like sign something, off, off you go. I mean, not always, but for the most part, they've got people to go through, you know? So it's like, nope, this was nice. I, you know, I think I spent 10 minutes with her just having a nice chat. 
you know, just, just, just hanging out with the Queen of the Skiffs, talking about birthday plans, you know. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> I just wasn't expecting that to be a thing. And um, so, you know, that, and that was just one of many encounters that I had. Um, it was really nice because I, I know uh, Gary Russell quite well anyway and he was traveling from Cardiff so we um, me and the Bristol crew as it were uh, joined Gary Russell on a trip to Universal Hollywood and it's such a weird thing to think about that you know these people that you admire and respect and uh, have worked on a show that you love and have loved for however many years are now just hanging out with you it's a really weird thing and that's what's nice about galley one is it is very much a kind of we're here to hang out convention so it's a very different feeling to quite a few of the uk ones you go to of this size i don't get me wrong the smaller intimate events so phantom films and hooverville that those kind of events but they're lovely and intimate and you can really spend a lot of time with the guests but you have 40 people Mm. 40 to 60 at a push it's, it, they're quite small you don't have that many people on purpose because it's hard to do that but you, you know, amplify that by hundreds and then you've got the same feeling of this intimate quite cosy event where we've just taken over a hotel for four days but it's you know hanging out with Una McCormack at the bar or talking to Pete McTie about trailers and it's so friendly and open and welcoming and people taking part in silly panels and just talking to fans and admiring each other's cosplays and it's just such a wonderful welcoming experience and obviously there's the thing as well with as a female fan there was a lot more females because statistically, even though there aren't as many women who are fans of Doctor Who, statistically, if you have 3,000 odd people, you're going to have, a, you know, at least 1,000 women. So you suddenly have a load more women that I wouldn't have got to meet who were there at Galley because they go every year. So the Verity podcasters were there and they were amazing and lovely to talk to. Um, and then you had like all the lovely female writers that I really wanted to catch up with. And oh, it was just great. It was really lovely. Absolutely amazing atmosphere. Well, now we're even more jealous. <laughs> <laughs> next year. Go next year. I am really aiming for 2022. Uh, that's, uh, that's my goal. Going to try and get there. Sounds good. Do it. Did you see any f- favourite cosplays there, Sophie? Because you were rocking ah. your Barbara Wright, which we were loving. <laughs> Barbara Wright. So, um, yeah, so it was quite, there were some lovely cosplays. Being my friends are great cosplayers anyway, so they were the ones who were like, you need to come in cosplay. And I was like, no, I'm not doing it. And they were like, please, please come in cosplay. And I was like, well, maybe I should have cosplay Barbara because Barbara's not a strenuous cosplay. It's just the wig. Everything else you can kind of, like the, her typical like chase costume is quite easy to come by. It's leggings and flat shoes and a, a white polo neck. That's something I can do. Uh, so my friends are like, do it, and we'll go as first up to characters. So uh, one of my friends dressed up as Ian. Actually, Kieran Hyman also dressed up as Ian on another day and was kind of gutted it wasn't the same day he wanted loads of photos of Barbara. Um, but we saw, a, we saw a Black Guardian. We saw an Omega. We saw um, a celestial toy maker, but we also saw people dressed up as sonic screwdrivers, <laughs> which um, and DeLoreans and 
people being really creative with their cosplays where they were merging fandoms together. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, we saw um, an opera from Web Planet as well, which kind of blew my mind. Um, that was really nice. Well, oh, it was just so many. You could see so much. I mean, I had friends there who were dressed up as original doctors. There, I had friends there who had dressed up as kind of like oh the roof doctor I my first cosplay of the roof doctor I saw oh, and yeah. they'd, they'd actually got the um like the, the African print shirt as well and it was stunning I was just like that's so cool how did you get that because the colors were identical and it was just like really fun to see all these because I, I admire cosplayers a lot my um my best friend growing up at secondary school was a cosplayer not for doctor who just general things and um she ended up going into costumes. She was, like, fascinated by it. So I've always had friends who are really good at dressing up, and I've always been really bad at it. So it's always been nice to just be like, well, I'll just join in. I, I, I understand. Um, I'm just trying to think if there's anyone else. I mean, there was a massive gathering of um, 13th Doctors. They did a really nice big group picture together. Uh, my friend went as Harry. And oh. his, but his name is also Harry, so he had a really fun moment where he was getting things signed, dressed as Harry Sullivan, saying, oh, sign it to Harry, and then the guests doing, like, a double take. Like, no, my name is actually Harry. <laughs> um, he also dressed up as the Brigadier as well, um, which was really good. I'm just trying to think if there's any other standouts in my head. But no, I think I, I think I've labelled them already. Oh, there was a Candyman group. There was also a Candyman with the mm-hmm. Happiness Patrol, uh, which was honestly oh. it's amazing because it was like a proper built Candyman head and everything as well. I think I have a photo somewhere of it strangling me. I need to find <laughs> it. But yeah, it was amazing. Really good. Really good stuff. Awesome. And in this episode, the haunting of Villa Diodati, you got to watch it at the con with the other fans. We did. So um, they actually had. Um, in the program, they just said between, I think it was between four and five o'clock. No, no, was it three or four? Anyway, there was an hour in the program that just said special video to be announced. And we've all sat there going, that's going to be Doctor Who, isn't it? There's no doubt in anyone's mind that it's going to be Doctor Who because apparently it's the first time that Doctor Who has actually aired ever within a galley weekend. Oh. So, so we all sat there like, that's what it's going to be. So the amount of people like piling in at the end of this one panel, even <laughs> though no one knew officially what it was. And then um, I think it was Sean who organized it said, yeah, so now we're going to have a documentary on trees. And then um, was like, just like joke. I went, Oh, actually we've lost it. So we'll put something else on for you. And you know, we, we were able to watch the episode. I think we watched it two hours or three hours earlier than, they would have done in America at that point. I don't quote me on it, but I know I'm pretty sure that we'd watched it earlier than it was official release because I think it came out in England at that point because we were eight hours behind at about 12, 11, 12 o'clock while people were on other panels. So I was like, I don't want any spoilers, I don't want any spoilers. But then, you know, three hours later, which would have been much earlier than the eight o'clock or seven o'clock release in LA and the East Coast, West Coast divide, where there's like an hour apart or something, we were then able to watch it. So, yeah, and that was 
astounding. I felt like I was at a football match. I felt like like every kind of moment which was funny, and I don't mean like really funny, but any kind of moment which could make you chuckle. Imagine that, but three you know, three thousand people chuckling meant that it was just a kind of a widespread moment where all the laughs hit at the right point. When um the moment in the episode where Ryan gets challenged to a duel, um, like the room was roaring. It was so like it was such a weird experience. And then when the Cyberman turned up, like the room like hollered. It, I felt like we we were watching a match and someone had just scored a goal. It was just insane. It was an insane feeling. I've watched Doctor Who with with groups before, probably about this about twenty. Uh, I think a max of 20 people. And usually, I don't know, it's us Brits perhaps, but we're quite quiet and we concentrate. And then at the end, we talk about it. Not the Americans. The American, the American fan base, they just enjoy it. It's so overwhelmingly positive as well. They're just so happy to get it. They're so happy to be able to watch it. They're happy to enjoy it. And I think that's a really nice takeaway um, when it comes to the episode as well it's just so enjoyable to watch with other people in that way like yeah yeah fantastic wow i have to say the american thing is not just the fandom my partner's american and i can tell you that uh, watching television is very much a participatory experience uh, <laughs> i can always hear when he's watching tv because he's cheering and booing mm. and gasping it's very much uh, i was like they can't hear you love but hey rock on oh that's lovely i love it Mark, I watched mine very simply. I watched it with my partner, but I did insist we switch all the lights out because I thought this is going to be a spooky one. Let's just switch yeah. all the lights out and have it in pitch black. And it was while he'd been away, you know, the weather has been horrendous, storms, mm-hmm. raining, solidly, which was it was, it was it was a very different thing. But it was in the dark with the rain out and the wind outside. It was pretty good. How about you, Mark? How did you? Yeah, same. I was going to say probably the the one advantage that we had over um, the people lucky enough to watch it with thousands of other fans in LA was the atmosphere created by the the storm lashed um, uh, weather outside in the UK. Yeah, it really added to the atmosphere. Mm, that's great. So you know, you missed all that rain, Sophie. I mean, really. <laughs> well, we, it was actually quite terrifying because we um, leaving. Uh, Heathrow we were the only plane to leave during Storm Chiara um, or Chiara Chiara whatever it was so um, we were like we were on like one of the big aircraft the Airbus I think it's the 4380 or whatever it's called I forget exactly which one it is but it was like the biggest aircraft and even then we had a really rocky ride getting to LA even that we were delayed by an hour all the other planes taking off from Terminal 5 were cancelled <laughs> Wow. And, that, and, that, and then we, so we knew the storm was bad. Mm. And then, then they were like, oh, there's another one coming next weekend. And we were like, we're so glad we're leaving on Monday. You were a fixed point. You were a fixed point in history. That yeah. flight had to go. That, yeah, they had to go. Had to definitely go. <laughs> yeah, that's, mm. that's so lucky. And uh, what was really funny is uh, at the end of Galley, so once that video was shown, then they did their closing ceremony and thanked everybody. But they actually showed a video of um, Chris Chibnall and uh, Stephen Moffat. I think the first, there was two videos. The first video was Chris and Stephen pretending to argue about who was actually running Doctor Who. And then Chris stole the phone and like walked off, which was obviously... Like, it was quite funny. And then the second the second video was Chris saying, hi, you know, I'm showrunner and 
writer for Doctor Who. Um, um, just want to wish everyone at Galley that they've had like a fantastic time. And then Jodie kind of jumped up out of the corner of the screen and was just like, "Look at our weather!" and just showed Guardian <laughs> Storm, <laughs> Storm Dennis had caused, which was really like really funny to watch, but also. I think, like, all the English people in the audience just went, oh, God, <laughs> that's what we've got to go into. Yep. Mm. Yeah, other, other than the uh, the sort of 50 minutes when the episode was on, it's uh, it's, it's not been enjoyable. Yeah. But for yeah. those 50 minutes, it was useful. <laughs> Good to hear it. All worthwhile. So, um, so what do we think of the episode, uh, Conrad? Um, yeah, I had a great time. I have to say, I'm glad I switched the lights out. I'm glad I hunkered down. I had a good feeling about this. Sometimes I get a feeling that an episode is going to be right up my street, and I have to say, I wasn't disappointed. In fact, the only thing I am disappointed about is that they didn't call it Mary Shelley's Night on Telly, because I think that would have been a belting. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I loved it, and I loved, um, you know, we were straight in with a pre-credit sequence, and and uh, even though I had a feeling, it, it set it up incredibly well. You knew who all the characters were, and you knew what the atmosphere was. You knew what what you were up for. And uh, when there was a knock at the door, if you'd seen the trailer, you kind of knew it was probably going to be the gang doing that amazing, amazing Scooby Doo <laughs> lightning <laughs> reaction, which has got to be a photograph that's going to go down, you know, in his Doctor Who history, it's one of those all time pictures. I I've now got it as my Twitter banner because I just love that picture so much um, but even though I kind of knew what was coming it still made me laugh and I've watched it twice since and it made me laugh every time because I don't get out much um, but, I, but I loved it and um, how do you guys feel about the because some they don't always do a pre-credit sequence with uh, this era how do you do you have a preference for the pre-credits or not or I love them I think they should always do one uh, I think it's like yeah. um, I've said this before you're getting a little mini cliffhanger within the episode um, so yeah, yeah, I I love them. I mean, I can take it or leave it, but I get why they're important. Like I've I'm used to having them because we've had them. For, I'm trying to remember. We we used to have them quite a bit for previous eras. Like mm, the new yeah. series used to have it quite often. But because I watch a lot of classic, um, I I tend to find that I'm I'm just used to getting either or. So as long as long as the Doctor Who title sequence is involved at some point, I'm I'm usually quite happy. I usually get a bit like, but where's the, where's the title sequence when it isn't there? Which is I think that's only ever happened once, which was the woman who fell to earth. Mm. Oh, I yeah. think a revolution um, which was well fine, and I had no it. problems with it really. But it is kind of jarring when you're expecting it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so luckily, I think everyone was warned that there wouldn't be one. Because I think I remember the internet being like, there's not going to be one. And I was like, well, okay, that's fine. You know, just chill. We'll get it at some point. Yeah. It'll be worth the wait. Like, I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, but yeah, I can take it or leave it. But for this episode, it worked really well. That that moment was really funny. And what I think I found really amusing was in the trailers they were doing, um, I, th- I think there's a uh, edited trailer somebody did where they put uh, the eighth Doctor wrapped in a in a sheet oh, yeah. behind the door, <laughs> um, which which now continues to make me laugh. So I always think about that version as well. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, yeah, it was really good fun. 
I'm, I'm the, I think I'm the same, Sophie, with because uh, I grew up on classics. So um, to me, I, I, I kind of like the enclosedness of it. But I do think, uh, actually, given the way TV's what TV's like nowadays, and this is a perfect example. I think for your casual viewer who's just finished country watching Country File and isn't that bothered, maybe I think going straight into the story would have mm. really, really hooked them. So I thought in this case it was it was great. Um, yes. 100% worked. But what happened with the psychic paper, guys? It got it got a bit drowned. How did we feel about that? <laughs> I, I don't know. It was just a bit like, oh, it needs needs to be blow-dried. And I was just... Is that how psychicness works? Must, must, it be, must it be dry to work? I don't think we've ever had an issue about that before. And I don't really know what the purpose of it... Like, what the purpose of the joke was, apart from, oh, it's a bit... It's wet, we can't use it. I was yeah, like, no. I, I, I have to say, I, I felt that was the one thing I felt a little beat that wasn't quite there because when they were quite soon into it, I was like, well, who do these, who do um, Shelley and Byron, who do they think these people are? Um, mm. And it kind of bothered me. It didn't bother my partner who just went, well, they're all bohemians. They, you know, they're used to kind of weirdos turning up at the door and they love it. So I, kind of, <laughs> I, I could kind of buy that as well, but I, I sort of, like you, I was wondering what's the purpose of, of you know, why a sort of, oh, it's all soggy line instead of a, we're these people line. You could have given, I don't know, it was a bit odd. What, would you, what do you make of it, Mark? Yeah, because uh, I, at first I thought, was it the Shakespeare episode where it didn't work on him because he was kind of a super genius? Um, yeah. uh, and I thought it was going to be something like that, that it was Byron and Shelley and Mary Shelley and it was going to be something like they were just kind of too imaginative or whatever that didn't work. <laughs> um, but it did seem like it was a case of just the paper was wet. Um, but I did like, I guess, the fact that they made the assumption that they were from the colonies and then you get the brilliant line later on about, you know, I don't think they're from the colonies. Um, she's from somewhere much, much stranger. And then Polidori leans in and goes, the North. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a flash of lightning. Yeah. <laughs> so going back to Gally, that line cracked the like the whole room up. It was just like <laughs> this chuckles just vibrating across the room. It was just it was, oh that was good. That was a really good line. Um so I guess that must have been the thing, it must have fed into because I'm I mean I'm just trying to think about what other use it would be unless they just turned up and just didn't show the psychic paper like hi could have also worked but then you wouldn't have got the soggy psychic paper line so i don't know i guess it's it's just an odd it's just an odd thing to establish that by the way the psychic paper's wet it won't work which now people will pull up talk to who up about if it doesn't if it happens again there's always one there's always one but I did like, but I did like the way they were introduced. Um, I thought the dance was a brilliant way to get all our characters in the room mixed up, you know, talking together, little bits of plot flying everywhere. I loved that. I thought that was such an elegant, neat, quick little way just to get our characters all together and shaken up together. I thought that was beautiful. Yeah, and it avoided that um, slight thing we get into with this doctor of like a kind of a bit of a tour guide lecture when we arrive somewhere of just kind of delivering a little bit of exposition. Um, so it was, it, was, it was a really, like you say, a very elegant way of doing it, wasn't it? And, uh, I think it was good. I think it, I think it kind of made me laugh, though, because if it was like a bigger hall with a lot more people, then the conversations they were having would have been private. Mm. But there's only that many people. So it's such <laughs> a small room that these gossiping moments are actually happening within earshot. So I couldn't take it seriously. I was like, the wife's there. She can hear you. She can hear all of this. Like, 
she can hear that you're not interested in her. That's isn't that weird? So apart from that, I mean, the, the actual the, the idea behind the dance and everything, I, I think it really worked well. But because of, I, I found that a little bit awkward for that reason. It's like I'm pretty sure that everyone has just overheard everyone's gossip. I've got to, at this point. I can't go any further in this in this without bringing up Fletcher the valet, who was <laughs> like I like didn't stole the show, but he gave us the show because it's you know a butler giving a comedy eye roll is one thing, mm-hmm. but um, he, he it actually tells and he does it in the pre credit sequence, but it also tells you what it must be like living in the house in a house where it's very beautiful, very clever very rich, very bored people playing insufferable parlor, parlor games <laughs> and this dance. He's, there, he's even there playing the piano and he's just like hating it. And it's just like, I, 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 that actor's name, I made a note of it, is Stefan, Stefan, Be, um, Stefan Bednarczyk. Stefan Bednarczyk. He's on the Twitters. And I have to say, that is, you could, you know, that role could go for nothing. You could go, oh, I'm playing a butler, I'll just phone it in. What he did was so beautiful. He hit every beat, and it made me laugh every time. Every jump, every eye roll, I love him. And it actually set it actually set the scene. You, you kind of knew who these these young people, these young posh brats are. You know, it was gorgeous. I loved yeah. it. Well, I love because I've been reading a bit PG Woodhouse recently as well, and um, he he had a, a bit of Jeeves about him. That sort of <laughs> unflappability. When yeah. he smashes the skeletal hand, he's just in the right place at the right time, just takes it out. Um, yeah. And then when the Simon's got him by the throat and asks him if he's the guardian, he's, he's corrects him and says, no, I'm the valet. Um, and the, even the slight thing about him appearing from nowhere, um, it's, uh, it's a thing from, from Jason Worcester as well. So, ah, so. right. That's nice. He's, um, it's, I thought he was brilliant. Get that man to... Um, photo studios where he can just roll his eyes disdainfully at us all while we pay and queue up to be <laughs> yeah. book him immediately we love him sounds good to me <laughs> so I was thinking with, with Byron I think is this the first time we've seen a character flirt with this doctor can't think that it's happened before has it I was trying to think I think so I'm not sure I, I can't remember I don't think so. Yeah, I think it's, it's quite gonna, right. It's going to really annoy me if there is one and we've got or forgotten. But um, but she said you're not flirted on on like flirted out on a weekly basis, like say say the doctor or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's unusual. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely unusual, and I love just like how she just completely just rejects it. It's just like nope, nope, <laughs> nope, not, yeah. not not having it. Nope. Um, which just amused me so and I love much. The way she, and I love the way she does it, because she's still, the Doctor is still very asexual in that way. It's, she's completely like, no, I won't have that. But she doesn't, there's no kind of, um, there's no kind of, I don't know, it's beautifully, it's, it's just beautiful, it's the way she does it. It's just in a note, that's not what this is about, in a very kind of firm, clear way, and I love it. Oh, J- Jodie Whittaker, come on. Yeah. I mean, it helps to sell Byron's character as well at the same time. It's... Uh, mm. The, the rapport the two have got is uh, is great. Gosh, yeah. Oh, what, what, do so think, what do we think of our Byron and Mary and Polidori and Shelley? What do we what do we make of our our gang? Um, I mean, they're just trying to think. I mean, the only difficulty I think I had with the episode, like in totality, which relates to this question, is I feel that whilst it's supposed to be, well, we were kind of 
it was marketed to suggest that this was all about Mary Shelley, where actually she was kind of like a non-character in it. She had a few lines, and then it was really more about her husband and more about Byron, like more about Byron in the sense that it was their actions that caused things to happen. So actually she was just kind of there, which is sad because... I thought it was going to be more about the whole Frankenstein thing with her, but it almost felt like, for me personally, I loved the episode, but it did feel very much like Mary Shelley is only there because she was there, not really because she did much apart from the and the conversation with the Cyberman, which is a brilliant moment. I love that moment. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of it. That was, what, three, three minutes of this episode where... She, you know, she said modern Prometheus, which relates to the Frankenstein thing. And then she, she, because I believe that the whole thing with Frankenstein is what, is that Frankenstein is a monster, but there's a human still in there, which is what the, the conversation is supposed to be. But actually instead she, you know, she presents this to this monster, like there's a human inside you. And Ashad is like, ha. You you think so? No, I'm I am a monster. I am a human monster. That's been I become this monster, and I I, I guess I found that also a bit odd because it's almost a contradiction of Frankenstein. It's nothing to do with Frankenstein. So I don't know. I I have like these are like these messy moments for me where I kind of went that could have been a lot clearer and a lot easier to put into this plot that I really enjoyed. But I think there are moments which didn't quite work. And I think I think with Mary Shelley, it's a shame that she felt so underused when she was, I think, a lot a selling point for a lot of people for the story. I was I was really looking forward to this because I'd say Frankenstein is one of my favourite books. Um, oh, I uh, read it at university and did a module on, on the Gothic novel. Um, and, and of the novels I kind of read on that module, this is, this is the one that stayed with me, and I've, I've read it since. And then by chance, I came across, there's an audio book of it on the BBC Sounds app. Oh, yeah, I saw you tweeted uh, it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. So um, the last kind of week or so, I've been walking the dog, I've just been re-listening to that. Um, and it's quite good when you listen to something as well, it, it pulls out different elements of it. Um, one of the things I thought was they, they talk about the, uh, the the Frankenstein creature is um, is not susceptible to extremes of heat and cold, um, which is definitely something from one of the Target books about the Cybermen. Um, and you kind of feel like various writers have probably kind of uh, you know read Frankenstein and, and seen that. So I think we probably guessed the Cyberman was going to be in this as soon as we knew it was about. As soon as we knew there was a lone Cyberman turning up and that there was going to be a story with um uh, with Mary Shelley. Shelley. Yeah. Um, but I think there are some really nice subtle you know, ideas that the way that the, um, Frankenstein is, is suggested. Uh, obviously the lightning, I mean that's not that subtle, um, but the uh, you know the uh yeah, the, uh, they've been reanimated with, with with the lightning and things. Um and the character of Frankenstein, as in Victor Frankenstein in the book, you know, it's often been said been said by different people he is heavily based on um Percy Shelley. Uh, and a lot of the book is about Shelley's, uh, is, is, sorry, about Victor Frankenstein trying to protect his family from the creature that he's created, because uh, the, the you know creature kills his brother and then his best friend and and, and ultimately his wife. So, so if you haven't read it, there's spoilers there. 
Um, <laughs> and that idea that, that Shelley's really battling to protect his family and his loved ones uh, while you know while the creature is uh, is, is kind of rampaging around, um, I thought it was a ni- nice way of suggesting that as well. Uh, but I think yeah. it goes so dark this episode. There's, there's just you know as much as there's light bits, the the bit where the the baby's sort of nursemaid is screaming, and then the scream just ab- abruptly cuts off mm. when the Simon reach, reaches down. Obviously, he sort of breaks a neck and, and things like that. And and then um, when he t- the Simon talks about slitting his own children's throats and things, it's oh, you know, I could feel talk about a ghost story. I could feel the ghost of uh, Mary Whitehouse. Yeah, who haunted uh, my years of growing up watching Tom Baker. I could feel the chill hand, dead yeah. hand, Mary Whitehouse. I was delighted. I've gone. She have hated this. Yeah. I mean, that is. I mean, it's, it's very on the line. Mm-hmm. They would have had to have really thought, can we do this or not? Even I was like, well, we're now on the line. Could see her in your mind's eye. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it was. It was definitely bumping up against the limits of how of the horror you know great and even the bit it was quite dark when he when he talks about um the baby william about he sort of says oh he's weak and he's a, he's a runt or something like that um, yeah. because william did die age three um, so it kind of really goes up against that and then and obviously the thing about where the doctor pushes shelley's mind to the moment of his death and you see the sort of underwater which uh you know he was lost at sea just like a few years after this, and then it seemed to suggest that, like, he knew that was going to happen. That, um, yeah, that, that he was going to drown. And, and, and Polidori and Byron, I think they were all sort of dead within about 10 years of uh, mm. this happening. There's only Claire and, and Mary Shelley left alive, so uh, <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't sort of skirt away from that. I think it was, uh, it certainly didn't, yeah. Whereas, um, you know, earlier in the series with Spyfall, I think, um, oh, and the, the, the name of the character in, in World War Two, the um. The, the spy who's sending messages back, it's just gone out of my head. Oh, the name's gone. Yeah, um, because I think, you know, what they talked about, uh, what people talked about at the time was that she she was sort of killed in action not long after that, but they, they didn't address it. Um, here it was, because uh, I think the, the line towards the end of the episode, something about, oh, we know now that every moment is precious or something, they seemed to acknowledge that uh, that they, they knew some of what was going to happen at that point. Yeah. Yeah, they, def- they definitely earned like building up the stakes all the way through, and I, th- I, I thought that was one thing that was fantastic. Right from the, the sort of jokey opening, there are jumps. It, you know, you, if you sort of count the jumps, I mean, there is they, they just build up. You know, in a good comedic way, with all the, you know the butler turning up and Graham jumping, and everything was making everybody jump, and that mm. it was great. But they come, they did build them up like through the episode until there were real jumps, like the skeleton hand leaping up onto Ryan's throat, and um, and they built it up. So by the end, the stakes. Uh, just they, it turns very serious, and then the stakes just go up and up and up. Mm. It was really gripping, sort of. Just by the end, the stakes are very high, and it's wiped the smile off your face completely. I thought that mm. was amazing. And also, the arrival of uh, the Cyberman of Ashad was pretty damn exciting. Mm. Just, I mean, again, three thousand people sat in a room watching the lone Cyberman turn up. Like everyone just completely cheered it was it, it was just honestly so exciting when he turned up and that the way like johnny was like oh quick and then like closing the door on it and we were just like oh god no 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 <laughs> um you know that was it was exciting to watch and as we got to see more of the cyberman and um, this his face was just oh, i was terrifying 
just to see so much more of the human underneath really kind of for me it really captured my imagination really terrified me yeah just great design it fits with that really industrial look of this era i think where we had the 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 dalek in resolution that had rebuilt itself and the you know doctor um making the sonic screwdriver from from sheffield steel and that kind of thing it it, it really fits with that aesthetic that we're getting at the moment, I think. Yeah. And, it really um, does. It, I have to say, they're not. I, I noticed that as well, Mark. I was like, there's this, of this era, if you pull out the returning, you know, the, the big returning elements, like you said, the Sonic being built, the Dalek build, falling to Earth and building itself, the Cyberman falls to Earth, builds itself. It's like, even the Master, you know, he's on Earth and it's kind of reformed himself into something else. It's... Um, I have to say the returning the returning main villains in this era astonishing I mean the stuff mm. with the, in, in resolution with that Dalek mutant the stuff here in this with the Cyberman I mean these one of the scariest if not the scariest Dalek and Cyberman moments ever you know mm. which is you know I, I say that I, I grew up on Genesis of the Daleks when I was like three or four so I don't say that lightly <laughs> it's, um, this, uh, they are not messing about with these returning villains I think they're doing a is kind of astonishing, fantastic. Mm. Uh, and I thought some of um, probably some of Jodie Whittaker's best stuff is the Doctor when she's up against the Cyberman as well. Um, when, when she's having to have the discussion with the rest of the fam as well about you know the weighing up Percy Shelley's life, um, you know, against the, the the potential disaster that Jack has warned about, um, and then then facing down against the Cyberman, some some really great Doctory stuff there. Mm. Uh, that bit yeah. where she's just revealed to be sitting there watching him as well after he sort um, swept all the stuff off the desk. Uh, such mm. a great entrance, just kind of really low key entrance, but really, really effective. Yeah, the, the, the whole story. I, I agree with you saying, Sophie, about the um, the arrival of the Cyberman being a really key moment in the story. And I noticed when I was rewatching it, the Cyberman arrives properly. I mean, as near as damn it to the second halfway through the episode, it's it's there's a, there's a really cool mo- cool moment in Othello, and I don't know if this is true or not, but apparently there, there's a key moment where the handkerchief drops, which which leads to you know to a tragedy and everything, and apparently that handkerchief drops at exactly halfway through the play and changes mm. everything. And I think like this, it was like you know it was probably not a deliberate thing like that, but if it's it's within seconds of being exactly halfway through the story. And then the whole story changes from a ghost story into horror and turns from being a kind of period thing into a Doctor Who story where we really, the Cyberman turns up. So mm. it, it's, and then when it happened, I was, I was thrilled. I was hoping it was a Cyberman, but I was almost a bit like, oh no, we were losing the ghost story now because we're going to something else. But it was, mm. it's beautiful. And the whole story just tips, pivots on a seesaw. It's gorgeous. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I'm still like just really thinking about that Cyberman opening when when he when he disappears. It's just it's such a phenomenal moment and how he continues. And I really just love like the way he moves. Like it sounds really silly, but like we we have a lot of mechanical Cybermen. We've seen a lot of them very recently, and now we've seen this new design. But I love just even though they're walking potentially quite quietly through the house, you still get the, the wonderful buzzing of when they move their head and stuff like that in those yeah. silent moments. And it just, it just reminds you, like, though, this is a machine now. Like, he's a violent, angry, 
you know, a weaponized yeah. human being and hearing the kind of the, the tweaks of like gears grinding uh, or whatever they've used to kind of suggest it's kind of like and and uh cyborg like motion it was just it got under my skin every time even when he wasn't speaking and just moving i was so oh, sat there completely <laughs> creeped out I'm with you on that. When he lifts, the, when he lifts that. In fact, it was really nightmarish when he's stalking through the house, following mm. that baby's cry. Yes, so it's, night, it's one of those nightmare things where you're trying to hide and something is creeping out to get you. And um, I agree, the way he moved was it, there was something having that half human bit exposed really helped. And mm. um, and like you said, the, all those gear change. Like when he picked that baby up. And can you hear the sort of mechanical noise of this baby being picked up? And there's something kind of just obscene about this mm. moment. It's, it's you know, the juxtaposition between this horrible nightmare and this little baby is kind of, on an instinctual level, it just freaks you out. It's I, I totally agree, Sophie. I think you know, <laughs> and, I've got, and we've got, I have to say, one thing I haven't seen is the guy's name has not been said enough. So I'm putting this one on the map. Patrick O'Kane is the actor who played him. Because I've noticed in, in interviews and, and, and uh, in reviews, they sort of said, oh, the Cybermen, Nicholas Briggs. And, you know, Cybermen, Nicholas Briggs, absolutely. But that guy in there, Patrick O'Kane, he's a, he's a really well-established television, theatre, film actor. And what he did with that performance underneath all of that armour was phenomenal. The mm. tiny moments, the huge moments. Patrick O'Kane, we love him. That was That was astonishing, I thought. Yeah, because that, that scene that you mentioned before where it seems like Mary Shelley's getting through to him um, yeah. and he, he looks down a little bit and then uh, and then there's a total reversal of it. Um, so, I got a little bit of a sort of a Terminator vibe as well. I think, you know, when um, when you see Arnie, when uh, half of his uh, kind of human face is gone uh, and you've got the, the sort of the, uh, the uh, cyborg-y sort of one side and the human face on the other. And then the, the travelling yes. back in time talking about the resistance and things as well. Um, yeah, even when he appears, even when he appears in sort of lightning, kind of half crouched over. Yeah. It's got that Terminator feel. And I, I do wonder if next week is going to be quite Terminator. You know, when you see the, in the Terminator films, you see a bit of the, this future where the, the remnants of mankind are a resistance against the, uh, against the machines. I'm so excited for next week. I'm so excited for next week. Um, it, it's just one of those things where we've been it's nice as well because Chibnall obviously last series everything was sort of standalone mm. where this series we have got elements leading into elements leading into elements leading into st- the plot leading into stuff and it's just like it's building up that kind of what what, what the hell is happening feeling and because we've only got two episodes left there's no way you cannot be excited or just intense, intensely waiting to see what the outcome is. Like, regardless of how you feel about some of the other episodes or how you feel about certain things, I need to know how this ends. I need to to know what's going to happen now. The Doctor's allowed this to happen. Like, how how do the companions really feel about this? Like, how, like, is this going to change their dynamic? Yeah. Are they going, you know, it's, it's really great. Character-wise, it's so exciting. Yeah, no, I, I very much agree. And I noticed that it reminded me in when the, the bit where she, you know, you don't give it what it wants, and then she gives it what it wants. And, and everyone's like, what are you doing? You know, we all, the companions are like, what are you doing? We, you know, 
don't give it what it wants. And um, I love the fact, because this, this is a doctor, I think um, in the Jadoon episode, you know, she says, oh, don't do points. Points are my thing. You know, this is this is a doctor about points and plans. He's always like, oh, I'm coming up with a plan. I'm nearly there. And I, it's so exciting. It sort of brings the whole series up to date, because for once, we're in the middle of a plan. She's like, And she's kind of like, well, step one, save Shelley. Step two, we go into the future and fix the mess I've made. And it's like, oh, God, right now we are in the middle of step one and two of a, we're in the middle of a plan it's happening now so there's a kind of liveness about it that Sophie I think that gives gives us that excitement that mm. we, we can't wait to find out what happens because we're in the middle of this plan and we've got to pay catch up now because we step one was was tricky and step two is going to be a big ask to try and pull all this together so yeah I love it I'm, I'm like you said I'm totally excited for this and I'm stoked yeah. for this weekend yeah Hey, I'm going on holiday on Sunday. I don't think I'm going to watch it. Cancel, cancel. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be able to watch it until about Thursday or Friday. What? Because oh. uh, the iPlay doesn't work abroad, does it? Um, it, it knows that you're abroad and, and won't let you watch anything. I mean, I'm going to Poland. I'm going to have to see if there's a TV station over there that's, um, that's showing it. But um, otherwise, I'll be, I will be um, just have to delete the Twitter app off my phone for a few days. Yeah. And, and, uh, just the safest. Yeah. way forward I think radio silence delete yeah. delete yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so what about the actual ghosts do we think uh, that that was there was a hint there that, uh, that you know ghosts could be real because there was one line that I didn't really understand in this when um, I think the doctor says to Percy oh you you've been reconfiguring the the house to uh, you know kind of uh, bamboozle the side man and keep everyone safe and he said some not all it has its own room and i it kind of went over my head the first time the second time i thought what 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 does the cyberman have its own room or is they saying that the house has some kind of ability or or that it's doing something and then i thought is that in some way that the ghosts play into it i don't know what did you think i didn't pick up on that i didn't pick up on that either so that's really weird because I was wondering about the ghost thing myself, because I think it was, I mean, it was funny because Graham was able to say the line, I see dead people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and Graham getting fed by the ghosts, yeah. um, which was a bit like, it obviously really cut the tension for a few minutes and it allows us to laugh with Graham and all that stuff. But it did seem very kind of out there. And then for, the, for Graham to be like, wait, so... I was fed food by a load of ghosts. It just felt like really weird way to end. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, there's a lot kind of that they're processing here with with everything that's happened. And the last thing you're thinking, Graham really should be thinking about was, wait, I got fed by some ghosts? <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, it's a weird thing yeah. for ghosts to do, isn't it? It's not kind of in the normal uh, realm of what you get from a ghost story. But maybe, maybe it'll play into something in the next two episodes. Maybe it's some kind of... Uh... Maybe it won't. Or maybe, Mark, me and Sophie will go back and review it. And that moment you're talking about never happened. Yeah. You're the only one that saw it, mate. So. Yeah. <laughs> You've been doing this podcast too long. You need a holiday. Yeah. You're just seeing things, Mark. It's, it's, it is a great episode for picking things up, I think, on, on subsequent viewings. Because uh, after the first time, I thought... Oh, isn't it weird that they uh, they never mentioned that they met Ada Lovelace, who's Byron's daughter, um, yeah. when they met Byron? And the second viewing, yeah, she totally does mention it, and it just it just goes by so quick. Um, yeah, uh, and mm. it's it's the way um, um, the thing Doctor is just delivers lines so quickly as well. Sometimes 
that I didn't yeah. pick up on it at all the first time. And then the second time I thought, that's great. That's a really nice little link. And it's another hint to Byron that the doctor is, you know, is, is something unusual. And, uh, because of the way she says, Oh, you know, I will know her and she's got a great mind and things like that. Yeah. There, there's so, there's so much in this story. And I think it is, uh, I heard recently that the definition of a classic story, and this isn't, wasn't to do with Doctor Who. It was more about like, literature and stuff. They were saying that a definition of a classic is one that, or, or uh, at least a, um, a, a trait or a characteristic of a, as a classic story is that each time you go back, you get more from it. And I think this mm. is an absolute classic in that sense, and also in a Doctor Who sense. I think this is one you can rewatch. I would happily rewatch this. It's a bit like a ghost light in more than ways. One that I'm, mm. I will always want to pick that story off the shelf and watch that sort of haunted house slash horror horror story and I love the um, I've just got to go back a bit to the ghost story bit I remember at the beginning again it's something I noticed on the second time when I first watched it and they're, they're all telling their ghost stories and Byron Byron sort of says starts narrating his story and he's like oh we all descended to the vault and he's saying it as we we're watching Mary going up the stairs and I was like oh really direction are we really sort of saying going down to the vault while we're seeing somebody going up and then of course when I really watched it again I was like oh because the house is kind of you know, you don't know which way is up and down, and the house is folding in on itself. And I was like, mm. "That's brilliant." That is good, actually. That's really yeah. cool that you pointed there's that a, out. There's a lot in there. There's a load in this story, it's, and yet, and yet, it's really straightforward. The actual story goes in a straight line, mm. and 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 I love the fact that you, that you basically get a kind of ghost story for the first half, and then it all changes for the second. So you've kind of got without being too symbol hunting about it you've got two things bolted together um, i think i think they're well grafted together but they're i love the fact that it's you've got different things sort of slotted together and there's i think each time you watch it there's more and more to unpack it's it's fantastic and, I, and as i think i've said before mark I, what i love about this um this series and this era is that you've actually got a chance of guessing what might happen and you've got a chance of your guess being right um you know what i mean it's like you know, who knows what's going to happen? I've got no idea, but you can have a guess, and you might be right. Whereas I think in previous seasons, like, well, you've got no chance because they'll just <laughs> they'll just trick you and lie and, and reset, and you've got no chance. But I think with this, you, you can kind of follow it, and it will make sense. And the story, I think, was was complex, not convoluted, um, but it's like straightforward and great. Very happy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think some of the other things just. Um, um, I, I was saying like the uh, you know knowing the book quite well and I was rereading the, oh, yeah. rereading the introduction to it and some of the things like um, we mentioned before Polidori challenging uh, Ryan to a duel um, apparently <laughs> was notoriously argumentative and eventually Byron just kind of sacked him off for that reason um, he took him on as sort of a personal physician and travelling companion but he found him so argumentative that uh, he got rid of him in the end <laughs> Um, and that, that tied into that part of it and, and when they were all challenged to come up with a ghost story um, according to Mary Shelley's journal Polidori's was about skull-faced woman um, and it made me think about the moment where they look in the baby's crib and there's just a skull and a, and a skeletal hand in there I can't remember if Polidori's in that scene but it would uh, you know, be another little way of suggesting that that was, um, that was where his inspiration came from so loads of nice little greater notes like that, which uh, which are fantastic. Clearly, I need to read Frankenstein again. So it's been a very long time. <laughs> yeah, me too. 
Yeah, it's, uh, it's such apparently a good the, the writer of this story, so Maxine Alderton, um, apparently she's big, you know, really, really big into the story, Frankenstein, Shelley, all this kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So she she went very, very deep into her research, which is great because it means well, I didn't have to. Because I was like, yeah. she knows what she's doing. She'll have picked out all the best bits. It's cool. Um, but yeah, I think if I think I think you're right. I think going back into Frankenstein would be great again to see this. And I, I, I like that nod um, uh, to the sort of film stuff, like you know the the lightning coming out of the window and his makeup on that side man. It's like slightly. There was a few sort of little bits with mean, the black fingernails the slightly green mm. skin the weird, the weird eye the scars it's like it just nice little touches but it it held together mm. yeah. there's uh, the other thing you just mentioned quickly is there's um, uh, a documentary on the iPlayer called I think it's called The Strange Affair of Frankenstein um, it's from 1986 uh, so it's really dated um, and it's, it's quite weird. It's interesting. It, it goes into yeah, the relationships between all the characters that we see in, in this episode of Doctor Who. Um, and there's some really interesting stuff about the, the likely influences on Mary Shelley, like stuff that was going on at the time. Like you're getting the very first uh, transplant technology was coming in, um, which it seems really early for that, but it was actually teeth. Um, that, that people were having teeth transplanted uh, that would last for about three months and then and then sort of fall out again. Um, and the first sort of um, human artificial insemination, which is you know feeds into the idea that that you know man was creating life in a way uh, yeah. you know that was sort of slightly uh, you know un, you know against nature. Um, and there's a really weird scene in this documentary. This I can't remember the, the name of the guy who presents it, but an older gentleman with a big white beard. And um, he, he just changes in this bedroom from his clothes into a really old-fashioned sort of nightdress with the, with the long hat with the bobble on, and then picks up a huge syringe and gets into bed next to this woman. Um, it's just, wow. And it seemed, because up until that point, it seems like the sort of thing you would have watched in schools at that time, and then just a really weird scene that, uh, that is, uh, yeah, very out of place and, uh, and odd. So uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well, because it is, it is just... No, I'll tell you what, Mark, I'll tell you what, Mark, don't. This <laughs> it's, it's probably the one misstep in it, but uh, it's uh, it's uh, yeah, it's odd, but it, it's interesting. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna quickly paper over the cracks with a with a, with a question. <laughs> uh, speaking of what's going on, and because everything's up for grabs, and you know, in this weekend, in two weeks' time, we're gonna know everything. So while we don't, what's up with Yaz? Nothing, a little bit, a huge continuity thing. Any any feelings about what's going on with Yaz right now? Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. It's, it's an odd one. Um, I've seen some very interesting theories about her working with the Master, which I thought was mm. a really weird theory. But, hey, I don't know. It could happen. Um, it's Doctor Who is Doctor Who at the end of the day, and things do like to trick us and surprise us. Um, I mean, look at Fugitive Wanted to Doom. No one saw that coming. And <laughs> so, you know, but no, um, yeah, I saw that theory. I mean, I found, like, so with Can You Hear Me last week, the introduction of, like, her past being quite difficult seemed to be quite a surprise. It was lovely to see development. Um, but I, I don't know, because I... I didn't. I haven't been able to grasp it from people online because obviously I was away, so I we I missed like what like any sort of like chaos that happened in regards to 
that episode, which usually happens after every episode, there's always like a load of negatives and a load of positives, and then it's like a big fight, and then everyone settles down for next week. Seems to be the running gag with um, or the running game with Doctor Who. But um, I couldn't quite figure out why Yaz was sat up in the hills of Sheffield because I saw people saying that she was going to commit suicide. Mm. And then other people saying that she was going to go hitchhike. And I didn't see the suicide angle, if I'm honest. I saw that she was alone and upset and she was just going to run away, which I get. But there were other people who assumed it was something much darker than that. And I I personally couldn't see why. Um, So, I, I mean, it's interesting that in terms of Yaz's development, it's it's quite hard to follow. Like I, I can't read what the writers are going for with her. Like I love her. In this episode, um, she had some great moments where she was considering things. Uh, she was considering her person being an enigma, which I assume is her discussing the Doctor. Though, you know. But again, it's left to our imagination, so that's interesting enough. But then when she's told not to follow the Doctor. And then she says to the others, well, she did say not to follow her. It doesn't mean we shouldn't look around. And I felt that was really good development for Yaz because I do feel like she does not get as much development as, say, Graham does and Ryan in the same way that they have quite strong backstories that have led them to this point where Yaz has kind of been along for the ride. Like, I love her. I think she's great. And Mandip is great. But I want to see more. I want... So if, if they are going to do something, like, really cool with Yaz in the next two episodes where, you know, she comes out of her shell, she proves how capable as a police officer she is and then realises that she belongs on at home or whatever's happening now, it'll be really interesting to see how that has come from Series 11, if that makes sense. And especially... Also, because the the female police officer that we got to meet last episode was so good. Yeah. She was so, oh, such a charismatic character for us to meet and inspire Yaz. And I think it, it was really nice to, I'm hoping that's what Yaz is going to become. She's going to become this very capable police officer who ends up being like aware of all the stuff that goes on with doc, the doctor's life so then she can help others when... She needs to do on Earth. That's kind of what I hope happens to Yes. I don't want. I don't want. I don't want Yes to die. I want her to have room for development again and again and again. Whether that be Big Finish or books or comics or whatever. But she deserves development as time goes on. If she continues into series twelve, because we no one knows what's happening. No, <laughs> no. It's so hard to know what's really going to happen. It's a really good point, actually. That's another thing that we, you know, this series, I mean, when we said, you know, me, Sophie, when we said yes to this episode, Mark was like, do you want to re- review episode eight? We were both like, sure. And I went, oh, what's episode eight? I'm like, well, there's a writer I've never heard of and a director I've never heard of. Yeah, sure, let's review it. <laughs> like, I love this. I love not knowing. And I like, it's. I can see why it's ruffled some fans' feathers because I think over the last few years, particularly Doctor Who'd got very, very fan uh, uh, Orient driven actually mm-hmm. lots of continuity lots of stuff lots of for them and this is kind of puts us on the same foot as casual viewers so we don't really know much more about what's going to happen than anyone else and actually I love that I love not knowing mm-hmm. um, it's and I think it's really paying off in the surprises we're getting because like you said Sophie like 
Fugitive the Jew, Jadoon. Oh, let's that. Watch, let's watch a nice story about the space rhinos. We all know enough. <laughs> 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 no more guys. Watch. Um, yeah. So I love it. I have to say, I'm really, you know, this era is very interesting. It's not got everything right, but uh, show me a Doctor Two series that that has. Yeah, um, yeah. But um, I, I think some things it's done are like the returning monsters that they've done them so well, and I think the surprises and shocks is is anyone's game. What about you, Mark? And any any feelings about? The companions or Yaz or what, what might be brewing? Yeah, I think it's interesting because uh, when I watched Can You Hear Me, I, I totally read it as she was going to kill herself. Um, for, for me, it was the line when she has that vision when she's in the uh, in the sort of nightmare realm uh, of a sister saying, uh, this time do it right or something like that, um, which I, I guess they, they couldn't make it too explicit um, maybe for the you know for the time slot and the and the audience sort of thing, but no, it's interesting that that yeah, there's different readings of it like that that um, that that wasn't the case. But yeah, I feel like there's a few different threads you could go with with Yaz because yeah, the the part in this episode, where, like you say, where she talks about the mystery person, um, it could be the doctor, it could be the master. Um, I, I I took it to mean the doctor. Which, <gasps> Picks up, uh, it picks up from Spyfall, where the end of uh, you know the end of Spyfall Part Two, and they're all sitting around there saying, "Well, we don't really know her. We don't know where she's from or what she's about." So it, it could build into you know uh, somewhere where they don't trust the Doctor anymore. Uh, maybe particularly after they've just seen her risk the entire future, um, you know, by uh, by removing the Siberium and, and, and giving it to the to the lone Cyberman. So that feels like one way they could go with Yaz. Um, yeah, this, it, it, like you say, it's exciting because because we don't really know. And I guess we don't know which characters are staying for the next series. We know we've, um, thankfully, we've got Jodie Whittaker for at least one more series. Um, but I, I don't think there's been any announcements or suggestions. I know there's rumours because um, Tosin Cole uh, signed up for an American TV series. Um, but it doesn't necessarily rule him out because uh, you look at Bradley Walsh, he's on like every other TV show. And he's still, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's fine. Uh, he's still in Doctor Who. So, yeah, it's, it's all up in the air, isn't it? I think, I think normally by now we've known, we knew when Billy Piper was leaving, we've, we, we knew when various various actors were leaving. Uh, we think, you know, kind of think, well, we know that this is their final series. We don't know any of that at this point. So it's. I, I don't want, I have to say, I don't want any of them to go. I really, really love this, this team. Yeah. I just love them. I love them. I mean, I love I love Graham so much. <laughs> like there, there isn't anything I would do to tell Bradley Walsh in person. I love Graham so much. Um, he, it's just been phenomenal to watch him. Just you can tell that Graham's character has been through a lot, and at the same time, he takes everything so well with such optimism and fun. And it's like that moment in Can You Hear Me where they sat around the table with his mates playing cards, just being like, "Yeah, I love the traveling. It keeps me busy." And like, so, so my mum died last year, and. Uh, I'm talking a lot to my dad at the moment because my dad is now in a similar position to Graham where he's having to kind of live his life after his wife has died. And my dad's kind you know, I'm keeping busy. And every time Graham talks like that, I'm like, yeah, that's right. That, that, that to me is very much correct in how a man of that age dealing with the loss of someone who obviously took care of him for the most part is now coping with 
a life where he's traveling. I like, love they referred to it as like, oh, are you off on cruises? And I was just like, oh my God, Chris telling everyone he's on like lifelong cruises across, across uh, like, you know, the US or across the Caribbean and all this stuff. And he's doing fighting monsters with the doctor. And it's just such a fun, like, I don't know, payoff. So every time I hear about someone going on a cruise, I'll always think of the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, even even this episode, him him needing the toilet and, and and the ongoing thing about like there's never any food on these adventures. I'm always hungry. Uh, it's much more grounded and human like that. I think I think Bill had something like that, didn't she? Where where she needed the toilet, but it's uh, you know for years and years, no companion ever mm. <laughs> ever needed that sort of basic human uh, human requirement during a, an adventure. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's fantastic, and um, yeah, Ryan, I, I felt like, um, and I said this last week, I feel like his sense of, of being there for his friends might be the thing that makes him leave. No, I don't want Ryan if, to leave. If, if he does, I feel like, because I feel like he's got that commitment where he said to Yaz in, in Spyfall, you know, I, I won't let anything happen to you, I won't let you die, but yeah. then his best yeah. mate at home um, obviously needs him around. Um, he's reconnected with his dad and things like that. I feel like he's, he's almost got a sense of duty to people, hasn't he? That I, yeah, fiercely loyal. I, you know, I, I, I ranted about toasting coal last time, so I'm not going to do it now. But yeah, um, I agree. His character's he's got, um, he's very loyal and 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 dependable, and there and there in a really quiet, softly spoken way. I think mm. he's brilliant. Mm. And in his nightmare, you saw the um, you saw the dregs as well. So that. Uh, ecological thing is is maybe playing on his mind and, and, and yeah. uh, you know could 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 play a part you know could, could be his his future role is in trying to prevent that on earth. I mean, when we look at it this way, that like he's been thinking about the dregs a lot and the fact that his friends have been abandoned and all this stuff, and now we've got this whole moment where the Doctor has purposely allowed Earth to be damaged mm. and that's that's i think that's really gonna sit badly on him like he was already been a bit like iffy about the last couple of like situations they've been in as we've as you saw with can you hear me as we saw with uh, orphan 55 and how that panned out like i think ryan has for a while been kind of saying like i'm not sure about this anymore in one way or another so i don't know whether you know seeing earth in the future being you know, destroyed by Cybermen and watching humanity suffer. I don't think it's going to sit very well with him after everything that he's already gone through. Yeah. Um, and that could so, tie into the, the companions losing faith in the Doctor. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if it comes, but, you know, Yaz is still, still not sure because she doesn't know enough about her. Um, yeah. And also Yaz, Yaz, has been, Yaz has been had a few moments where she's just gone her own way this series there's a few times where she's I mean we joked about it on the back on the Orphan 55 but that moment where she runs in going hey guess what everybody it's all surrounded by an invisible wall okay we've worked it out and um, it, was a, it was a joke but it showed that when she's left alone she will go off and do some doctoring and mm-hmm. was it in was it Praxius where she decided I'm going to go back in there yeah and the doctor gave her a there was a very weird moment where the doctor gave her a very weird look as in what are you doing you know, mm. going off and doing this yourself. And this week, she's like, well, technically, she said, don't follow, but it didn't say, you know, we have to stay here. 
So she's she, she's Yaz is very capable of, of pulling or increasingly of pulling away and doing her own thing. Just please don't let them die. Yeah. I, it's funny because I feel like if we had just the thirteenth Doctor and Yaz. So if let's say Ryan and Graham leave, like Ryan leaves because he's ready, and Graham's like, "Well, I'm not leaving Ryan alone, so I'm going to go be with Ryan." Um, and Yaz being like, "No, I need to stay. I want to stay." But if obviously this is like the nice happy outcome, you know, <laughs> we don't know what's happened yet. But let's say everything is fixed, in, it's all fine. But Ryan's like, "I've had enough now," and Graham's like, "Well, I'm not leaving my grandson alone because we're family, and that's all we have." Yeah. And then Yaz being like, "Well, I want to continue doing this. I feel like I'm making." I'm helping and I don't want to leave the doctor on their own, blah, blah, blah. Maybe she's even like, I need to make amends for some crap that I've done. I don't know, whatever. But you, I don't know, character development. But the idea of them doing stuff together as well is interesting because I feel like those little moments where she's kind of showing her worth and yeah. showing what she can do could be fun to actually develop her as the main companion and watching her kind of tell the doctor, like, no, I'm standing up to you and you're doing this wrong and I'm going to go do this because it's the right thing to do. I mean, I think um, I was discussing this with my husband, actually, when Series 11 came out. I think we were a bit disappointed that Yaz didn't have immediately a kind of argumentative streak regarding the Doctor's kind of loose morality because Yaz is a police officer or at least training to be one and I'd imagine that her justice kind of scale is quite high like she should be like the lawful good character like we need to do this thing with these rules these regulations these things to help people and be good where the doctor's chaotic good <laughs> I'm going to do it my way but it's going to be good it's going to be right so I, I, I always wanted more of a clash there and it has been kind of nice there's been moments where the Yaz has kind of stood up so I kind of want that more so if we get a chance to get more Yaz more doing that that's what I'm there for <laughs> I'm here for this let's watch some more so uh, <laughs> that, 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 that's me on the subject so <laughs> I love it all the, the the flat team structure that that was an alarming moment for me when she was like you know this this sometimes this team structure isn't so flat you know it's mountainous me up in the stratosphere alone left to choose you know that was a jaw dropper you know so I do feel like anything could happen I don't know who's going to I don't know who's going to make it up there with her it's um it's great the stakes are so high I love it I was when I was watching I was like these with the particular the sort of build up at the end of this the climax of this story I was like this is sort of this is the level of stakes that I would expect to feel going into a possible regeneration two parter. Um, so I was like, next year, what are they going to do? They're going to kill us. Um, mm. Like I can't take much more of this. So I, I yeah. love this. I love the stakes. They're so high. And anyway, and, and like, we're, like, we're sitting the three sitting here, having watched it all, you know, intently, and we've got absolutely no idea what's going to happen. It's fantastic. Mm. I love that. I felt really bad for Ryan. I felt like his his comment was quite valid, and yet she yeah. really she really went for him. And I was just mm. like, the guy's allowed to say that. What like you know like it was really. I felt she was really harsh. I was just like, where where the hell did this come from? I was not expecting this from from this doctor. I expect that from the twelfth doctor. I expect it from other doctors. I was not expecting that level of no, I am right, this is my decision, you're going to listen to me. <laughs> like, I was just like, okay, hello! <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Yeah, it was a shocker. It, like, everything went out the window and she just 
and I kind of like, although it's, it feels uncomfortable because I love this, this what they've got, and I love it in Witchfinders when she's like, it's a very flat team structure. You know, mm. I was like, this is great. So it's really uh, sort of discombobulating and disconcerting to have, like it was a really shocking moment, but I kind of like it because, again, it's like, it's Doctor Who. You don't know who this person is. That You know, yeah. it is William Hartnell hitting a caveman with a rock. You know, you just don't know. <laughs> you know, Sylvester McCoy, lovely, cuddly Sylvester McCoy will take you back and put you through your worst nightmares without mm. telling you. Like, so, so it was, while it felt really, like you said, it felt really harsh. But um, mm. I, noticed, I noticed when I watched it again, there was a few, when, when the, when the, um, when the Cyberman turns up and the whole story sort of turns to horror and, and gets more serious, um, I noticed there was a, there was that moment, of course, where she says, they're like, oh, we'll come with you, you know, help the Cyberman thing. And she's like, absolutely yeah. not. I've seen this before. And I think that gives you one step up. And then a little while later, uh, they go into that place with the dead body and, she, and think Mary is just like, oh, we can do something. And she's like, do you want to, was it, do you want to listen or do you end, want to end up like them? And it's like, okay. And this third one, so there is this kind of build She's, mm. she's really had it with losing people. But like, like you said, we've not really seen much of this. So it really is explosive. It's, and mm. also, Jodie Whittaker is mm. absolutely astonishing at this. Yeah. It, ch- it chills you. You start fire and that strength. Is, mm. She is not messing about. And, and you know, hi, what did she say? Uh, history, is, uh, history is vulnerable tonight. I mean it. <laughs> and then later on, words matter. She's mm. really... She really threw a cold bucket of water on us and really told us to wake up. You know, it was a bit of a shocker. Um, so, yeah, it, I, I totally agree, Sophie. It did feel like, whoa, go easy. Through, mm. through the companions, we felt like, what are you doing? Yeah. Giving us a big push. But the stakes are really up there. I'm yeah. here for it. It's all the more powerful, isn't it? Because they, they always get on so well. And like you say, they, they talk about the flat team structure. And um, what you said there, my evil of the Daleks, uh, when the Doctor and Jamie kind of fall out and, and Jamie's like, I'm not traveling with you anymore after this. You know, you're not the person I thought you were kind of thing. Yeah. It, it, it feels a bit like that, yeah. It, um, that the companions, like I say, are having their eyes open to the, you know, the power of, uh, of the Doctor as well. Did you guys get the kind of Time Lord Victorious vibe? Because I, I, I got Time Lord Victorious vibes mm. from that, yeah. that speech. I- I did too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like shivers. Um, yeah. Because yeah, I guess that sort of choice is in the doctor's mind, reminding them of the the time war and and those kind of choices, isn't it? Of mm. an impossible choice like that, I suppose. Of uh, you, you know, weighing up somebody's life or the lives of the people in the villa against the the lives of the people in the future. Mm. It's a, um, to, to go, just go back again because this is always my touch point because it was certainly burnt into my head when I was about three or whatever and saw Genesis of the Daleks. This is the wires together moment. Yeah. yeah. The, this story is, is, is but in this moment is in and of itself, of its own right, a brand new moment we've never seen before, but mm. it's really consistent with what those occasional moments when you know things are really dangerous when the doctor starts pushing you away and doing, you, you're reminded you don't know who this person is, um, mm. which is great. Yes. Gosh. Oh, I'm now quite scared about the. I'm quite, now quite wound up about the finale. Now I'm quite worried. Mm. Uh, yeah, worried, worried, anxious, nervous. The worried. thing is, it. Um, so uh, the finale is actually going to be while I'm trading at London Film and Comic Con. So it'll be that evening. So it, so mm. the faceless ones is premiering that day, 
at the BFI, and then oh, everyone's been, which everyone's drinking afterwards, or at least yeah. tend to drink afterwards. So I'm going to that after London Film and Comic Con, but then I'm like, but I need to get back because I need to watch mm. the night. So I'm imagining people will stay out and then suddenly realise the time, or or there'll be a heart kind of like call to arms of pub put on the TV. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that'd be fun. Like, hey, BFI, do you mind just having TV on? Just, uh, just for us. Um, I don't know, but it will either be I'm not turning my phone on until I get back to to wherever it is I'm watching um, the episode, or we'll all we'll be watching it on our phones, sat in silence at the pub. I don't know. Um, we'll see. But yeah, that. But then the ascension of the uh, the Cybermen, which is obviously this Sunday coming, is the day before my birthday. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm gonna wake up the birthday morning like, what did I watch last night? <laughs> Uh, at least that's the hope. So, you'll you, you, wake up, open the curtains to the smoking remains of whatever's left of her. I don't know. <laughs> to whatever's left of my Doctor Who fandom, I'd say blown we'll get, we'll, we'll get you a, we'll, we'll a cyber mat with a bow around it. Ah, very good. I like it. Nice. <laughs> I suppose what's great about about where we are at the moment is only there's only two episodes left of this series. We've probably got a bit of a wait again for another series. But like you say, we've got we've got the faceless ones. We've got Fury from the Deep still. Um, we've got Talons and the BFIs being shown. Yeah, we've the, also got uh, Fury of the Deep coming out later this year. The Blu-ray. Oh, I'm still sets. between Fenric and Ghostlight on season 26. We got we got plenty <laughs> yeah. to do. We got, yeah. We're good. We're good. We're, um, we're so I, lucky. I am very excited to watch uh, Fury and Faceless Ones. Yeah. Faceless Ones, obviously, I won't be watching at the BFI like I usually do, which makes me very sad. But I will be going to see Fury because what I've seen of it so far is outstanding. Um, so I'm excited for that. And obviously, we've still got books coming out as well. So the Ace book came out not long ago, which um, I don't know if you guys are avid readers of the Doctor Who books. I'm but going to be getting hold of that one for sure. Yeah, yeah the, uh, Ace book's great. Yeah, it's it's my my birthday the day after yours, Sophie. So uh, I'm uh, getting the Ace book. I'm getting season twenty six. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna have a great a great time. Yeah, that does sound like a great time. Season twenty six and Ace book. What yeah. could you possibly? Have? <laughs> so it's good. Um, yeah, highly recommend the Ace book. And. Just trying to think if there's anything else that I'm aware of. Well, I guess the thing I'm looking forward to with the series 14 Blu-ray is 14, isn't it? Yeah. With Leela. Yeah. Um, they have a wonderful Sarah Jane documentary on there, and I got I was very lucky to watch about I think I watched about eight minutes worth with uh, Chris Chapman because he just said, "Oh, do you want to have a look?" I was like, "Okay." So I got to watch um, the Elizabeth Sladen documentary, or at least eight minutes of it. Oh my god! It's just—I uh, was crying in the middle of a pub. So <laughs> if that—if that—if that gives you any indication, um, and that's not even like the trailer or the opening or anything. That's just like watching eight minutes worth of it. Um, watching Tom Baker talking passionately about Liz Sladen is probably one of the hardest things I've ever watched, and apparently it just gets worse. I was like, oh, thanks, Chris. Thanks for that. Um, so yeah, I highly, highly recommend getting hold of that, which will be on the series fourteen. Blu-ray. Oh, so. I can't wait for that. It's uh, end of April, I think. Is it? Yes, I think. It, well, I think the yeah, April, I'm sure April's when the BFI event is, or the very end of March. So it shouldn't mm. be too long at all. Very excited. 
Right. And we've got the new Target novelizations as well. That's the other thing to look forward to. We've got the uh, the Witchfinders and uh, um, oh yeah, the Crim- yeah, Crimson Horror. And they've got da- Dalek as well, isn't it? Yes, they? yeah. Rob yes. Sherman's adapting Dalek as well. So yeah, loads loads to look forward to. Mm. Fantastic. So yeah, we should quickly say as well if uh, the London. Uh, Film and Comic Festival. Um, I absolutely love your badges um, and your artwork, Sophie. I got the uh, the Candyman one from uh, from you at Warp. Oh, thank you. Yeah, uh, I love that. It's my, it was the first story I ever saw. So anything with the Candyman, I absolutely adore. So uh, it's uh, it's a great design. And um, where can we find your stuff online? Uh, so you can find my stuff online on uh, mostly the best place to go is my Twitter, which is www.twitter.com forward slash Sophie Isles t- oh, sorry, Sophie Isles tweets. So S O P H I L E S T W E E T S. There, my website is just my full name uk. So Sophie Isles uk. Um, so you can find all my stuff about my writing and my artwork. So I am a writer as well, but I am mostly known for my artwork because it's easier to get hold of. Um, but my writing is all very much in the wings, kind of hidden away until I'm allowed to share it, which is fun and terrifying, but also kind of eagerly awaiting in the wings to show off that. So, yeah. Busy, busy times. So busy. (laughs) So, so busy. Not enough time to be jet-lagged, I'm afraid. So hopefully I'll be back to work tomorrow. Cool. And uh, you're going to warp this year again? Um, I think so. We'll see how it goes, really. See if I get asked. (laughs) (laughs) It would be nice if I was. Um, But I will be going to Hooverville. Um, which I go to, I think I've been there three years now for the last two years. Um, I will be doing NFC Summer, I'm hoping, fingers crossed. And um, I am just attending Big Finish Day and happy to bring prints and art with me if you are travelling up that way and want to get some things without postage. Um, but they're the things I think I'm mostly doing. I event the Australia, which um, I think Beth and some other lovely people have put together, the Sisterhood of Khan chaps they've um, put together this nice event with katie manning and uh janet fielding and some oh i think it's sarah sutton as well um and there's some other guests they're doing like a kind of show as it were to celebrate doctor who and to uh, raise money for the australia bushfires so i should be going to that i think that's in may um i'm not doing anything for it apart from i think after talking to some people today i will be donating some way artwork to the raffle and i think i'm going to be a kind of prize <laughs> in the sense that i'll draw something for you as a kind of prize wow that's so, a relief i was worried there for yeah. me, so <laughs> no, not just me it's all right my intervention uh, here yeah. No, it's, it's not that bad it's not that bad modern slavery is wrong yeah. my husband would be very confused if I was suddenly just like okay bye someone <laughs> owns me now um, no yeah in terms of my artistic skill I think I'll be drawing someone as a Doctor Who character awesome. I think that's a good idea so uh, yeah put your money down and hopefully <laughs> uh, I'll be drawing you listener whoever you may be <laughs> Cool. Yeah, Beth was on the podcast last week. saying about that event. Sounds absolutely fantastic. And uh, I think Nicola Bryant's been announced since <clears throat> since then as well. So uh, yeah, it looks like a, a great lineup. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, and that was my mistake. So it's Nicola Bryant, uh, Jack Janet Fielding, and Katie Manning announced so far. So I think I was wrong with um, Janet Fielding. So yes. So yes, we'll see how it goes. 
Brilliant. Uh, well, I'll be at Big Finish Day as well, so uh, it'd be good to say hello there too. Yes, I will be at Big Finish Day. I have no idea who they're announcing. They say this week we'll hear who their first kind of event uh, guest. So very excited to hear because they've sold out already. They haven't even announced yeah. the guest yet. I thought, That's how good Finish Day is. So I, Yeah, I thought they'd announced Paul McGann already and they're going to uh, announce another headliner this weekend, I think. Mm. So, uh, yeah. So, very exciting. Fun times. Uh, and Conrad, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter um, at Hair of the Hound underscore, bringing the Ben Jackson Claxon and making jokes <laughs> about Michael Craze, the beautiful Michael Craze. Beautiful, beautiful man. Amen. Yeah. How many people uh, tweeted you when he was on the calendar the other day? I know I was one of them, and uh, you got. Yeah, I, I, I got. I got a lot. <laughs> I don't think I've had so many DMs and tweets in my life. The day everyone flipped over and Ben Jackson was there. My, my, they were tugging my Ben Jackson Claxon to the cows going, I'm here, I'm here for it. Uh, I have very similar reactions when Ian and Barbara get mentioned anywhere. So I I, I feel I feel that. I yeah. get tagged in everything. Especially because uh, Jacqueline Hill biographies recently been announced. Um, I need to get hold of it. But literally, there's about 20-odd like, messages of people going, have you seen the Jacqueline Hill documentary? Um, biography? I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Yes, I have. I will look into it soon. <laughs> oh, I hadn't heard about that. Who's written that? Oh, I will. Let me just quickly Google. Um, I think it's uh, Phantom Films have right. got hold of it, which is awesome. Uh, Jack and Hill documentary. Uh, biography. Yeah, so a brand new biography of actress Jacqueline Hill has been released. Come on Facebook, open the actual post, please, and I can then let you know what that is. But yeah, so um, it's biography about her life, so there's like never before seen photos in it, discussions with her husband, that sort of thing. It's all very exciting. Where is it on here? Was not that long ago. Come on. Yeah, so it's called A Future in Five Minutes. Um, which is all about, yeah, so it's um, new research and interviews all about her private life and her career and um, written by a woman called Louise Bremner, available on hardback and it will be available from the phantompublishing.co.uk website. So if you're into Jacqueline Hill as much as I am, buy it because <laughs> I haven't bought it yet and I'm very, very sad, but I am going to buy it soon. Hopefully I'll get birthday money. <laughs> It'll be my first thing on my wish list. Um, so, yes. So, uh, yeah. It's all very good. Very exciting. Yeah, that sounds great. I, I loved, like, um, like the Variety Lambert one. Um, really enjoyed. It was J&T. Uh, read the Robert Holmes one. Um, it just is the glimpse, I think, of, of life back in those days as well and working in TV. Um, in those days he's just endless he's fascinating it's like the, the Toby Haydock who's rounds as well um, when you know the, the days of like um, like rep theatre and all that kind of stuff and just you know, it's obviously yes. within the lifetime of all these people but it's just such a bygone era now and uh, you can just listen to all these anecdotes um, endlessly I think they're brilliant did you guys do you guys know the story about Sean Connery and Jackie Hill no no. Uh, uh, it's it's a it's a pretty cool story. Basically, uh, it transpires that so her husband Alvin Rakoff used to do a lot of uh, film plays, as it were, back in the fifties. And um, I think he was doing a film about a boxer, 
which Jacqueline was going to be the main actress in it. But the, the actor pulled out. I cannot remember which actor it was. I cannot, like, you might have to look up the story. I think if you actually type in Sean Connery, Jacqueline Hill, it comes up. It's actual, the actual article. But basically, um, he was trying to find another leading man for this role. And Jacqueline said, well, why don't you get Sean to do it? Now, Sean Connery at this point was not, he did not have any speaking parts. He was in things, but he was he didn't have any speaking parts because uh, re- reportedly no one could understand what he said. So they were like, well, we don't want him as a leading man because no one will understand what he says. And Jackie apparently turned around to her husband and was just like, do it for the, for the ladies. Like, people will like Sean. He's good looking. So he was like, fine. So he hired Sean Connery as a leading man, which led on to him doing other things. So we have Jacqueline Hill to thank for uh, James Bond's Sean Connery, uh, which I think is such a great story. Um, yeah, which I think um, I, I just love her. I love her so much. And there's um, my, my friend has already sent me like photos of the photos within this biography. And there's some beautiful pictures of her smiling, which are not enough of because mm. she can smile and she does smile. But usually her photographs, she's got very like quite a frown. She's, she frowns quite a bit or she has a very kind of composed face. But actually these lovely candid photographs of her with her children and her husband and friends and she's just grinning and they're lovely. So just based upon my friend's guest sending me screenshots of look at the book, look at the book, I can tell you it's going to be worth it to, to read it. So, yes. Oh, lovely. Look out for that. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's brilliant. I, I'm a huge Sean Connery fan. I, I never knew anything about that so that's uh that's a great kind of collision of uh of the two worlds of uh of, of bond and doctor who i love that yes i think um hang on i can even tell you what film it was yes the, the film was called requiem for a heavyweight and if you look it up requiem for a heavyweight there are loads of photos of sean connery playing the boxer and a photo with, with him and jackie hill on the in the film so yeah there we go Gorgeous. It's, so, very exciting. Need to see that film. That is, Love uh, it. That's going on the list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Well, thank you very much, guys. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for making the time. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you very much for listening at home. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>